Everybody is uh, getting prepared for our last. Is this the last weekend of February? No. Next weekend's the last weekend of February, but um, I'm looking forward to March. But more importantly, we have with us today Cambodia's favorite resident alien, the one, the only, Mr. Russell Stutley. Welcome to the podcast once again, Russ. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, I, I can't believe I've been invited back. Normally, I only get invited back places to apologize for my behavior previously. <laughs> well, that we were going to bring that up. So, you know, um, uh, yeah, we you can work in an apology for sure. What's up, Joe? Joe's got some news. He went to some very, very highline Thai restaurant in Chicago yesterday. Why don't you tell us a little about a little bit about that, Joe? Yeah, so this was kind of a belated uh, Valentine's Day uh, date for me and the missus. Uh, we went to Arun's, which is like a five-star Thai restaurant um, on Chicago's north side. So anybody who knows the city, it's kind of, it's, it's a surprising neighborhood. It's actually where I, not too far from where I grew up. It's by Irving Park and Kimball, which is kind of just your average residential neighborhood. You know, you'd think a five-star restaurant would be, uh, you know, in the heart of downtown or Lincoln Park or one of the fancier neighborhoods. But I think this guy, basically this restaurant's been there since the 70s and he's maybe shifted locations once, but stayed in that neighborhood. Um, but yeah, it was, it's not, when you, when you think Thai food, obviously we all know, you know, Pad Thai, Pad Sayu and the kind of classics. This is not what that is. This is, I literally had a, a nine course meal, uh, you know, uh, you know, like you, we, we were talking before the podcast a little, it's kind of like almost tapas style, but um like I said, each dish was something interesting, something unique. It all had uh, fantastic, uh, interesting, different spices. I mean, you could really taste the um, the influence of like, you know, Southeast Asian India, like the curries and the spices. It was just really fantastic. I mean, it is, uh, you're dropping some serious dough. This is kind of like a, hey, this is my 10th anniversary kind of a thing to do where you're going to break the piggy bank to go. Uh, but if you're in the Chicagoland area or visiting, I, I think I, they, I, on their their website, they claim they're in the New York Times, like a thousand places to visit before you die list, you know, and I think they're talking globally. So this is like a world renowned place uh, in Chicago. And yeah, it was we were there for at least two hours, um, you know, just getting one course after the other. Each one was different and unique in its own way. Uh, you know, I was like the perfect tourist. I was taking pictures of every meal, you know, and uh each dish that came out but it, it was fantastic yeah i highly recommend it like i said if you're you're doing for a very special big occasion uh arunes in the north side of chicago wow sounds nice how much well let me just say this is i could have bought 
a very decent copy of Iron Man number one for the money I laid down there. And that's, you know, that means a lot to me. So it was a big sacrifice, but uh, yeah, no, it's like I said, you're going to break the piggy bank. So it's definitely, like I said, a five-star restaurant. So um, not something I would do every Friday or Saturday, you know. <laughs> And if you would have taken her, no. if you would have went to the Sybaris, well, you'd only have been there 20 minutes as opposed to two hours, but probably would have saved some money. And well, no, because the cleaning supplies alone afterwards, you know, like honestly to detox myself. I mean, I don't know. Oh, I thought you were going to bring Bruce along when you said, you know, <laughs> you know, okay. Well, good. I'm glad you had a good time and tell the missus, you know, that I said hello. And yeah, I can't wait to see the photos later. Yeah, it's, it's really, and even the exterior of the building, like if you drove by quick enough, you'd probably miss it. But if you stop and pause for a second, you're like, oh, I mean, they, they've literally built like, the, I mean, the architecture's tie on the exterior too. It's, it's very funny because it's just a, a bunch of residential Chicago, you know, offices and, and, and apartments and then boom, up, you know, uh, this tie place. It's, it's kind of, so yeah, it's, it's very, uh, a very unique situation. Well, Russell, do you have any news to share with us? Well, we did, a, we did a Valentine's thing, and I said to Mrs. Russell, I said, you can have anything you want on the menu up to $5, <laughs> anything. And then I even went to $5.50, because you know me, Tony, I just don't care when it comes to money. I throw it away. Yeah, you splurge. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's what we did. And uh, but we, to be serious for a moment, we actually went to an all-you-can-eat place, very, very nice, five-star place. And it was, and, and no joke, it's $15 a head, all you can eat. Five, and it's proper five star restaurant. Yeah, that, yeah, like when I went to Thailand, it was this, you know, it's very similar exchange rate. Just you can't believe what, what, what great quality of like lodging and food you can get for the price. I mean, that's why people, one of the reasons why people go there, I mean, besides it being a gorgeous country, beautiful area. Exactly. Yeah, I. I, of course, being single, I didn't do anything for, well, Valentine's Day this year was on a Monday, and um, ironically, the caretaker was supposed to be here, and she called, she contacted me Sunday night to say that she couldn't make it, so I just stayed in, um, you know, with my mom, but, oh, you know, I had bought candy for the caretaker, her daughter, and my mother, so that's what it that was my Valentine's Day. Yeah, it's a nice gesture though, getting candy for people. Yeah, well, I mean, it's Valentine's Day, you know. Um, but yeah, other than that, nothing, nothing much. Um, so, did you uh, ever hear? Uh, I was telling the the guys yesterday, Brian and and um, Joe were over last yesterday afternoon to help me film stuff for the membership site. And uh, I was telling them about a boxer named Lupe Pintor. Remember him, Russell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phantomweight. <laughs> and, and he, you know, actually sadly killed a man in the ring, you know, Johnny Owen from, I think he was from Wales. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because uh, we, we got in a discussion about just how effective boxing is and pretty much how a lot of people don't get it. They don't realize all the little subtleties about it. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a dangerous sport. Yeah. I, I, I'm always telling people 
that most martial artists, for example, and Joe Bloggs on the street who sits there on his sofa eating crisp potato chips and drinking beer saying, you should throw that jab more when they're watching boxing on TV. They've got no idea just how hard and fast and clinically accurate top level boxers really are. And even the lower level boxers are still really good compared to most of the people. And they've got no idea how hard and fast these guys actually do hit. No idea. I, you know, I teach a lot of it in like, well, like in my Tri-C program. And one of the lessons for one of my uh, guys was the bot was a jab and all this. So he wrote me yesterday an email, you know, loving it and, and how all the little details that are involved in it. Uh, but when you start adding in the footwork and the angles and just the feints and all of that, it, it, it's a bottomless pit, really. There's just so much. And I, I wrote him, I says, the negative about all of it is that, you know, you age and your reflexes slow down and boxing is much more timing oriented than yeah. let's say MMA or yeah, MMA or grappling in general, where, you know, the window of opportunity in boxing is tenths of seconds. So, you know, that's what kind of, you know, uh, makes boxers as they age lose a lot because of yeah. their timing, their reflexes just aren't there any longer. But if you do know how to box and you can wrestle grapple, uh, you can stay formidable well into your 50s and maybe even 60 years of age as long as you're in shape because what you lack in the timing with the boxing, you can tie up, you know, you can hold, you can take the guy down or, you know, enter a different phase. So I've always told people, if you we're going to study two things, it should be wrestling and boxing. Uh, yeah. Really, because you'll – learning to avoid submissions is not that difficult. It's – um, but learning to box, learning to, you know, grapple in general, all the principles, that's what takes the most time. So, yeah, that's just how I've always thought, and uh, I'll go to my grave believing that. Yeah. Here's the thing. I can't find one part of that to argue with because it's absolutely right. I mean, if you, if you understand your boxing and you understand your wrestling, you're pretty much set because – as, as, like you said, Tony, as, as your boxing skills or the timing or speed, whatever, does diminish as you get older, you, you, your wrestling can take over because you can still clinch with people. You can still get inside on them. You can still work your way in. I mean, just throwing a barrage of punches, if you're skilled at throwing punches, even if your speed is down from where it used to be, you, against the people out there, you're going to get in on them anyway. You're going to smack them on anyway. And even against a decent boxer, you're going to get in close enough to start to, to wrestle. So when you add them together like that, I, I think that's the, for self-defense purposes, I don't think you need anything else. I really don't. And it, done properly, you don't need anything else. And Yeah, well, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a very, you know, it's just a scientific, uh, there's a lot of science behind wrestling, uh, boxing, you know, that a lot of people don't, even I know a lot of old time boxers that didn't even realize all the science that they were learning with the angles and this and that, they just do as they're told, but really it's, uh, 
you know, I, I really studied the, the, the philosophy and the science behind it. And, uh, you know, when I was younger and through all these years, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, Joe, say something to us intelligent. I mean, that's hard, but just say something. Yeah. Now now you're you're setting the bar kind of too high for me here, but I was thinking of several things actually going back to one of Russell's earlier comments about people kind of sitting there watching it as a spectator. uh, You kind of get lulled into the sensitivity or like, you know, it it gets, you can get the misimpression that, you know, and even I have that when you, when you're watching fighters, uh, you don't have a sense for how, how, how the fast they're moving, you know, it looks you, because you're seeing it from the outside and you're, it, it looks, you know, like it looks manageable, <laughs> you know, I don't know how to describe it. Like you, you get the wrong impression. And I saw Dwayne, who's been on this um, podcast a couple of times, sent me a video and it was, um, it was very interesting on YouTube. I should share it with you guys, but it was, it was basically kind of showing how in, in any context that can happen. So, this was from, NB- I guess there's been a thing with NBA players, like retired ones, there's, but basically we're, uh, they've caught this on videotape where um, just kind of run-of-the-mill retired NBA basketball players, they'll be shooting hoops somewhere or something, and the local hotshot will come up and kind of be like, hey, I, you know, I'll, I'll play you for money or whatever, but I, I think I can take you. And they don't even get close to the NBA player. Like, you know, it's like a complete shutout. And this is not someone like, you know, a Michael Jordan or LeBron James this is just your average guy who made it to the pros. And I think part of it, and it'd be interesting to hear your guys' observation, but when you have two professionals against each other, they start to shut each other down or make each other, you know, they, they're, they're, at a, they're both operating at a high level. So they begin to make it look almost, they make each other look ordinary, not, not ordinary, but, you know, not above average, where if you put someone who is not a professional in there, you know, what, what would normally be like a, when two professionals are going at it, it takes them rounds to really get past the, the defenses and the struggling at a high level. But you put a nobody in there, it's like over in 30 seconds, you know, like because of the power and the speed. And so in some ways, when you're looking at two professionals, shut each other down a little bit. You're not at a full appreciation, you know, because they're both at a level where they can kind of, um, you know, put, hold each other off. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so it gives a kind of a false impression, I guess, of the skills difference, you know? And so it... here's the issue with watching boxing. It's kind of like watching an airplane fly at a distance, right? You know, those airplanes, commercial airliners are going, you know, 400 miles per hour. When you look up and see it, it looks like they're barely moving. Well, when you're watching boxing, even live, even at the, at the arena, you, you have this large uh, field of vision. And you're looking, horiz- you're looking horizontal at everything. Well, when you're in that ring and those punches are coming at you, directly at you, just in this tiny little, you know, the, the width of your face range, um, everything is magnified now, okay? And, man, you start to really realize just how damn fast this is. You know, I told you I knew Bobby Hitz who, who fought George Foreman on his comeback tour, on Foreman's comeback tour. And Bobby said – he was unbelievably fast. It was hard to believe how fast he was because watching him on the you know TV or films, he doesn't look fast. He's a big man, but you know it, it gives off a different kind of impression. So until you're and you know here's another thing. Speaking of speed, so I knew a, a few guys that played college football. All right, and they never made it to the pros. They played with some pros. And they're like, all of them, not at the same day either, all said, 
You cannot believe the speed, the difference in speed on, on an NFL uh, field. Those guys are unbelievably fast. So that you lose a lot of that perspective when you watch it on TV, or as I said, even even um, at the arena or at the stadium, because you're still at a distance. You got a wide field of view. But boy, when you're in a ring, um, or well, I never played pro football, but I, I ran track against a couple of really speedy guys. You know, it's astonishing. You know uh, how much speed a human being can generate in different ways. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's like in, in grappling, isn't it? If you get two high-level grapplers together, they could be grappling for 20, 30 minutes before anybody you know gets tapped out or whatever. But you put in somebody who's even you know, high-level but not at that elite level, and they're going to be gone in a few seconds or a minute. And it, it, there's levels to this. And this is the thing that a lot of people don't understand. And even an okay amateur is going to destroy the vast majority of people. You know, if, if you look at BJJ, an average blue belt is probably going to destroy most people that come into the gym. You know, somebody who's been training with you for a few months, Tony, is going to destroy most people who come in to do some grappling. You know, somebody off the street is going to get mullered. And, and it's true. You know, and, and yet that same guy will get monitored by your one-year, two-year students, whatever, and so on and so forth as they go up the levels. And, and people don't realize how massive the difference is between that elite level and, and you know, the guy on the, on the couch telling them to jab more as he, as he stuffs his 15 Budweiser down his neck or something like that. Anybody you know, who's and, drinking Budweiser deserves to get knocked out, you know. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, it's just, you know, I've I've been around some high level guys, you know, in 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 different walks of life, yeah. uh, shooters, you know, guns, music, you name it. And I, I mean, when you see something done at a at a world class level, it's it's breathtaking and it humbles you because it makes you realize, okay, well. I, that's unattainable for me, right? That kind of thing. Um, like my buddy Kevin that got killed. Now, he was by no means a world-class trap shooter, but he was he won a lot of smaller tournaments and stuff. He was he was a whiz. But yet, he had a friend named Mark Granrath who was, like, I think Wisconsin and Illinois state champ. And, you know, this guy was at another level. You know, I mean, there's just levels upon levels. It's like with fighting or, you know, or anything else. Uh and I think that's what's in, what's interesting, um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we have a saying with it that like, you know it might look the same, but it ain't. And yeah. you know, when people see, example, if they saw me put on a top wrist lock, let's just say for example, it looked the same yeah. as you. It just probably would say it looked the same, similar to what you're doing. It wouldn't be the same. It, no, certainly no, would, it, it, wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't feel the same for the guy it's being done to. <laughs> somebody, somebody looking at it might go, oh, he's just doing the same top wrist lock as Tony. And it might look the same, but it ain't. Yeah, that, I, yeah I, I, I get what you're saying. Absolutely. And, and that, again, probably carries over into other aspects of life or other things. Um, but, you, you know, you... For people who, who have never achieved 
or have never been around like, you know, like great guys or great, great people, greatness, you know, they don't understand that sometimes, you know, um, again, you can't get it really from watching television uh, for, from seeing it on TV. You have to either be an active participant or you have to be there like right in the zone to really get blown away by all of it. Um, like powerlifting. Okay, watching a guy, we'll just take a random number, bench 700 uh, on TV. Okay, cool. But, man, when you're literally there, when you're, like, right there, and you see it and you, you feel it, you smell it, you hear it, you're, you're in that whole atmosphere of a guy moving that kind of weight, uh, it just blows you away. You know, you're, you're like, Jesus, man, this is what a, this is what a world-class strongman, you know, really, this is the uh, experience. Wow. So uh, a lot of people have that same experience when they see Joe in person, okay? Because they see him on YouTube or something. They're like, yeah, okay, so, yeah, he's, he's all that. But when they see him in person, um, after they regain consciousness, it's like a life-changing experience for them. Well, they don't even get the benefit the of smell, honestly. So that, that right there, you know, the video, that's a whole other dimension that they're missing out on. Um, you know, I was going to ask a little, actually, Russell, before we, I want to circle back to this conversation on, 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 on boxing as you age too. But, but Russell, I was thinking, you know, you've been on this podcast a couple of times, uh, but it's been a while. I was wondering if like, you'd give us like a five minute overview of your martial arts career, just to kind of reintroduce yourself to the audience saying, you know, this is what I started doing. These are the styles that I've done. Just kind of give some context too. I think that I'd, I'd like to hear that again. Yeah, no worries. But before I do that, I just want to say that 700 pound bench press, that's actually more than I can do as well. So that's pretty good. <laughs> just to let you know, you know, it is a bit more. Anyway, yeah, so um, my main martial art is Shotokan. That's what I was did first. Well, I actually did Shotokan first, but then as a kid, and then we stopped. And this was in Engl Eng England you started doing Shotokan? Yeah, well, Shotokan first as a kid. It's only about seven. I think my brother taught me. We did that for a few years, and then he stopped. I stayed doing it for a while, and then found out also I was pretty good at table tennis and cricket. So I've been in England, so we played those to a decent level, and then still doing martial arts stuff. But not as a, anything really into it as much as um, you might have thought. I had a lot of other things that I was enjoying around that time as well. Um, then found out I was pretty good at snooker. So played that for money for a few years. At the same time, I was still doing martial arts stuff, karate. Always loved me boxing. And uh, never thought I'd be any good at any of it. Because you go somewhere and you find out that you're with somebody and they're smashing you to bits, but you didn't realize that they were near the top of the food chain. You just thought it was somebody in the club, you know? So then a bit later on, got into Shotokan, can. And then with that, started looking at other stuff because I thought a lot of the people I met in Shotokan, can, I just knew that when they were talking self-defense, not, not sport, Kumite, tippy tap stuff, but self defense. I know I could just walk straight through what they were doing. And just with a bit of boxing, just walk straight through, just smack them, and that's it. And go on to 
went on to seminars with top level people. And again, they had that thing where they say you shouldn't meet your heroes and all that. I'd go along and find out that they didn't really know that much. And they weren't as good as I thought they were. And it was a bit disconcerting. So I started researching what martial arts should have been about and looking at it from different points of view and stuff like that, which got me into the pressure point side of stuff, which most people think is namby pamby prod here, prod there, which is another story. The way a lot of people do it, it is, but not the way we do it. And that got me to study how the body works properly. So looking at the Chinese medicine side made me look at things from a, a Western medicine point of view even more to study body mechanics, body physics, body dynamics, leverage, all those things that make things work. And it was that that then made me realize that these top masters in martial arts knew even less than I thought before because they had no idea about true body mechanics and body physics and everything else. The mechanics of what they were doing in terms of technique was just quite frankly wrong. And I could prove it because they were doing, say, 20 years of hitting X hard. We're teaching to be double, to hit double X hard in 10 minutes. So one of us has got to be right. And to me, it's the one who hits the hardest. If, if, if I weigh a lot less and I hit a lot harder, I'm doing something more correct than the other guy, for sure. So we started getting up, well, upsetting a lot of the martial arts people in the UK because we told the truth when they said, when people asked us, Master X, Master X, I won't tell their names, it's not fair, does he know what he's talking about? I just said no, because this is of this reason and we, we teach him and we can't get him to understand it. And that happened with quite a few of the top guys in the, in the UK. And then the just all luck and everything else. We're still doing our training, just small groups of us, much like with Tony and your small group, Tony, where you're just doing your stuff and we're just doing our stuff. We don't think we're any good or any better than anybody else. We certainly don't think we're any worse than anybody else. People have come and train with us now and again and we had no problem sorting them out. This, that, and the other. We got to train with other people. We found out that we could do what they were doing just as good or better. And, and it was just one of those things that we had no idea if we were any good or not. We just did what we did. And um, we had you know, kickboxing champions come down and we didn't know they were champions and smash them up and then find out months later that they were British champion or European champion or whatever. Again, had no idea who they were. And then it sort of built then more into the boxing side of stuff. And then me and Errol got together. So that really exploded the boxing side as we would be training every week. And then we had people like Big Paul, who fought Anthony Joshua. We had him, he was my student. So we took him through and built him up. So I'd be sparring with him two or three times a week with Harold, with other people. And, and so you, you sort of like go down that route and do more on the boxing side. I was still doing all my martial arts stuff, doing seminars all over the country, into Europe, stuff like that. And round about 
just before, well, before then, I sort of turned this stuff as well. And then I couldn't believe that somebody was using the same terminology as us, but didn't know us, if that makes sense, because only I'd only met our lot that were using the same terminology, because Tony was talking about angles and take 45 and the lead bridge and this and all these other things that we'd only ever heard our lot speak that way. And I remember saying to Tony, I said, how come you say it like that? And he said, there's no other way to explain it, is there? I thought, oh yeah, good point. <laughs> and, uh, and so things like that. And then we realized that there's a lot of principles in the striking side with the same principles in grappling and vice versa. And uh, so we started you know, looking at Tony's stuff and training that as well. And then we had people come and train with us and help out. And then other people would turn up that, again, we had no idea who they were. And then we'd get in smashed. And then off they would go. And then we'd find out that they're the champion here or they're just about to go into, there wasn't so many fights there or whatever it was. Again, we had no idea. We just did what we did. And as we were doing more and more, at the same time, the magazine started to want to be involved with us. So at the time, there was a couple of magazines in the UK and they used to help promote us all the time. So we had all that going on. And then living in different countries and all that sort of stuff, we just kept the training going. For me, it's always been more towards the boxing side um, with a bit of grappling. Um, some of our guys do more of the grappling with a bit of boxing and whatever it is. And it just built from there. I've been very, very fortunate in meeting people like Tony and people like Peter Constein in the UK and Rick and Tom in, in Virginia and, and all these different people that have been so welcoming, so nice to me and helped me out and said, have you tried this? There's another way of doing that, blah, 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 whatever. And it's just been an incredible journey. And somehow, you know, we've managed to meet great people, train well, seems to be that we seem to know what we're doing because it works and uh, you know we ended up doing a lot of stuff with police all around the world and that was more by luck than judgment we got a police force in the uk asked us to come down because they'd heard something from somebody who trained with somebody else who trained with us or something like that they invited us down they were wowed by it and then all these security people suddenly started turning up with police and then police in America invited us over, and then that exploded. And then it just in Australia, there's something like 20,000 security people go through the training each year. There's a pool over there doing stuff. And it just, things just went crazy because I suppose because it worked. And it just went in from there. And then um, for me, the boxing side has always been something that I just loved. It's only when I was too old. I was told that I might have been okay at it. <laughs> so it was one of those ones where I was 33 and Harold said that he reckon he could get me to sort of like English champion level, that sort of area. Um, it would take a couple of years of hard work and dedication and keeping out of the kitchen and keeping out of the pub and stuff like that. And I thought, and how much will I make? <laughs> Two years of that to only make that. I can make, I made more than that doing seminars and I can still go to the pub if I want to. I can still visit the kitchen if I feel like it. So I thought, well, no, I haven't got the dedication to do it, but I'll dedicate to a certain level, but not to do that. And um, 
So we just trained, which we found out actually was quite a decent level. Apparently it was still higher than a lot of pros train at. We didn't know, we just did what we did. So meanwhile, bringing other people on, so we've had three or four people turn pro as a boxer since then. We've had a few, quite a few people win titles in Thai boxing, kickboxing, and uh, different amateur tournaments. But turning pro, four people turn pro and do all right. And um, so the boxing has always been something that's been my passion, really. So we really studied it and studied striking and applied the principles that we knew from from things like grappling and the catch stuff that we're learning, watching Tony's stuff, the principles that we knew already, the principles that we worked out from Chinese medicine stuff that we you have to understand to make that bit work properly instead of the touchy, oppressive bullshit that you see everywhere. And um, that really helped then understand boxing at a higher level to be able to see where people needed to be, how they needed to move and, and uh, in a correct manner and to understand the angles and the distance and the time and stuff properly. And it just built and built and built. And then, you know, it's just gone on from there. And that's why my boxing really is, because to me, it's the base. As long as I know enough grappling to hopefully not get taken down. If I do get taken down enough to not be submitted or try and get up and get up, as long as I can strike, I feel I'm okay. So to me, self-defense side of it, the boxing is the first bit and the grappling's the second bit for me because most of it starts with these anyway. You know, we've had you know, quite a few to-dos doing security around different places and it's very rare it's a grapple very rare is 99 times out of 100 is these and we found that a on b as hard and as fast as you can tends to work so yeah it works isn't it and then you know um what my what's it in pounds 187 i suppose 180 that sort of area at the minute bit overweight but you get 187 landing on your jaw Full speed, full power from somebody that was out to punch. Pretty much over, isn't it? You know, if you know yeah, how to punch yeah. at that weight, it's over. So, I, I, to me, self defense is quite easy. It's a, it's a really hard and really fast. And if you end up grappling, you've got to know what you're doing. And that's where Tony's stuff, to me, is the best. That's why I keep saying it. I say to everybody, if you want to learn it, just learn Tony's stuff because it's the best you'll get for self-defense, the best. And um, so, yeah, so that was it. And then I did some boxing stuff for the people here. Oh, I also did some in Cyprus. I was a boxing coach for their Thai boxing team when they got, we got a gold and a silver and a bronze at the World Championships. Um, so I did that for them. And then over here, they asked me to do a boxing coaching course, which I did, and then asked me to be the national boxing coach after that course. And since then, they made me, they wanted me to be the, the coach of coaches and the um, all these titles. I get a, a, a full, 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 full promotion with no salary, and then in, instructor of boxing, or lecturer in boxing, sorry, and coach of coaches. That's a, a huge title. 
and so we, we just a few weeks ago did a, another three-day course for a load of coaches over here boxing course so and the the squad training they're in a bubble so i'm not doing that because i refuse to go and live in a bubble so as soon as they're out of the bubble they can come and train with me so then we'll try and take it from there so that's a very long answer to your question i'm sorry i went on for so long is there anything else or shall i shall i shut up well, I do have a follow-up question because it's fascinating. Again, uh, kind of because of the interesting overlapping with the, the pressure points and the rips that Tony does while he's grappling. So I'm kind of curious. You said most of that, that doesn't derive from a specific style. That's more uh, from what you've kind of uh, derived from uh, Chinese medicine. Yeah. See, there's a lot of people teaching pressure points out there and what there was and still is. And honestly, I went, to, I went to seminars with these guys, so I'm, I'm keen to learn. Even if I'm learning not to have gone to the seminar, I've learned from it, right? So I'll be going to these places, these different people, these experts, and I just looked at it, I just said, I just know for a fact, I've walked straight through you, I just, I just smash your face up. I just walk straight through what you're doing, because it's bullshit, it's bollocks. Because they're, they're teaching pressure points on their own. And they talk about these bell distribution curves where you've got this guy reacts well and this guy doesn't react at all. And then in the middle, you've got you know, the vast majority of people and all this crap that they go on about and saying this is positive and that's negative and you do this, you do that. And if you bend forward, it doesn't work. And you're what? It's that's absolute bollocks. Yeah. All that, that bell distribution curve stuff doesn't exist you can either do it or you can't right? and all those things about this is positive that's negative that's this and that's that that's all bollocks as well it's it's all relative it's like saying left and right but well, it's left and right that's your left hand that's your right hand but it's on the left side or the right side depending on which way you're looking at it you know, if, you, if somebody's looking from the other view, from their side point of view, it's on, that's on the left side, the right side, like a mirror. So all of that stuff's just only true when you compare it that way, like yin-yang type thing, an opposite. But we just talk of a principle of opposites. Like Tony talks about push-pull on something or whatever, it's opposite. You know, if you do it with a, in a lot, you push one way, pull another way, for example, it's an opposite. Doing an arm bar, you know, standing arm bar for police, you pull on the wrist and you push on their elbow, put their elbow, it's pull push, just opposite. So if you if you grab it one side of the head and smack it in the other side of the head, it's opposite. So we just say it's a principle of opposites, it's all this positive, negative bullshit that they go on about. And because they teach it as an individual thing, they go like, here's a pressure point, it's called this, and they go all these Chinese names, and they go on and on and on about what it's supposed to do, and then they go, oh, look, this is how you do it, give it a little tap, bum, bum, you know, all right, how do you get there? How do you get there? And this is where they come up with this thing, well, this is how you do it in a fight, and they go like this, or like that, you go, everybody knows you're never going to get that, get like that position in a fight, how are you going to get there? And so our work has been getting there. That's the most important. 99% of it is getting there. Right? It's like 
how do you put a top wrist lock on somebody? You've got to get them into position to put the top wrist lock on. You can't just walk up to them and say, can you lay down on the floor, put your arm there for me, please? And then I'll get them to, you know, cross, cross uh, side, whatever you call it, put the, and put the top wrist lock on. You've got to get there, haven't you? So all our stuff is getting there. And then once you're there, once, once you get into prime position, that top wrist lock's easy. And if you're using all the principles that Tony teaches on it, for example, or just some of them, not all of them, just some of them, if you use four or five of them, the other guy's toast. Because that top wrist lock is on painful before, before you really start to apply it. And it's the same with everything else. If you've applied the right principles, then the pressure point will, will be there. It's not, and this is why they come out with things like, Oh, you can't hit it in a fight. Well, maybe you can't. You're not training to hit something, are you? It's like, I always equate it to target shooting or something like that. If you walk onto a gun range, you don't walk on there and just go bang, bang, just point it anywhere and hope that the bullet hits the target. You aim. And after these people talk about self-defense, all these gurus, and they go on about you can't hit a pressure point in a fight. Well, no, you can't because you never trained for anything, do you? You, you, you're not even training hitting a heavy bag properly. You, 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 you're hitting a, a big pad or something like that. Where's your accuracy? Where are you actually training and lining things up, setting things up so you can be accurate with your striking? You're not. So how are you ever going to do it? And all of these things is all part of training correctly. You know, when I look at Tony's stuff, everything's about training correctly, drilling correctly. And same with our striking stuff. You've got to drill it properly, train it properly. What's the point in just hitting a big, heavy bag without even aiming or thinking what you're doing? That's bullshit training again. And, it, and all of that stuff, to me, is just bullshit. I won't entertain it. To me, there's got to be a reason for it, a valid reason. And you've got to you know, try to increase your skills. You've got to be able to hit what you're aiming at. If you can hit what you're aiming at, everything else kind of works and it kind of falls into place. If, if people I don't aim. That's the I thing. With, with the punches, unless you're, you know, training in boxing, they don't even realize that you have to aim your punches. Yeah, yeah. All these self-defense gurus, again, they say, used to say to me years ago, you know, oh, yeah, you'd be lucky to hit something the size of a medicine ball in a fight. So, yeah, you would. Because you shit at fucking... Oh, sorry. You shit at, at striking. Well, it's, it's almost like saying, like, with a gun, you know... Hit the target. Well, how do you hit the target? You know, there's there's a science behind how do you, how you aim. The same with strikes, punches, and there there's a way to aim. And I, how many people even know that? Very, I mean, boxers and and probably high level Thai boxing coaches and and fighters, but uh, others don't don't even understand that. Uh, you know, what knuckle do you aim? How do you line up your shoulder? How do you, this? They don't get it. You know. <laughs> None of it. It's like I used to say to him, I said, I said if you're putting, uh, example, I'll just say top wrist lock again. If you're putting that top wrist lock on, do you just grab the arm and hope that you can put it on? Do you just, no. like, if, you, if you grab the arm up here or by the shoulder, can you still put a top wrist lock on? And they go, oh, well, that's, that's stupid. I said, well, no. It's the same thing, isn't it? You're not, you've got to aim to grab it in the right place so you can, so you can put it on. I said, if you just grab it up there, you're going to put a top wrist lock on. Well, that's just stupid. Stupid. I said, well, it's like, you know, if I'm aiming for your jaw and I start punch, if I'm not aiming for your jaw and I start punching thin air, like two feet to the other side, it's the same thing, isn't it? 
you know, you've got to be aiming at what you're trying to get. And then, and then this used to, all these self-defense gurus and masters and all that shit, it used to annoy me. And I just tell them the truth. I said, you're not doing it. So no, you won't be able to hit it. Simple as that. And I don't care how good you are in what you're doing. If you're not aiming, <laughs> you're not doing it right, are you? Simple as that. And it, and it used to annoy people. But it, the, the truth often does. It's, you know, especially these masters, they're living in their own little land of make-believe. And the people around them, you know, go along with it. I remember being at one seminar and this master was teaching knife defense. And the, the Uki, the attacker guy, comes out like that. Just as like a, a basic, almost karate reverse punch with a knife in his hand. Well, a fake knife. He goes out in the air. He stays there with the knife out. Sensei does something up here. And then the guy holding the knife says, is this the point where I drop the knife, Sensei? <laughs> I'm going, really? This is your knife defense, is it? And that, that to me summed it all up, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. You carry on. We'll do our own thing, mate. And Because we have a thing called common sense. <laughs> and it seems to be quite lacking. And we just say, you know, what would a beginner say? Who's, who's had a load of street fights, knows nothing about martial arts, but really decked a few people outside the chip shop on a Saturday night. If, if you come up and tried that, what would he do? Right now, put it up a level. Now, let's say he's an elite boxer and you're going to try and do it to him. What's going to happen? And then yeah, it's we, going to be ugly. Yeah, and then we take it another level. We say, right, what happens if he's an elite grappler? What are you going to do? What happens if he's an elite boxer and an elite grappler? Like you're probably going to get killed, but what are you going to do? And, and it, it goes up from there. It goes, you know, it starts with the Joe Blow on the street who couldn't fight sleep. Well, that's easy. You don't need any training for that guy. You're just a bit of aggression right the way through to what if the guy's really good? What happens then? And to me, you've got to train for that guy who's really good knows what he's doing otherwise you don't need anything else do you if he's on against joe blow who couldn't fight sleep you only need to be able to throw a punch and throw it first pretty much it so we we upset a lot of people <laughs> which i refuse to apologize for oh and we brought you on to apologize oh yeah so i I'm, actually, I'll do, I'll do a politician's apology. I'm sorry if they feel upset at what I said. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I'm sorry, but, you know, when, when somebody throws a butt in there as well, there's no, forget it, there's no apology now because you're, you're trying to yeah. justify your thing, you know. Or I'm sorry they feel that way about what I said. It's, but, yeah, that's yeah. putting and, uh, it back on them. Yeah, that's bullshit, yeah. you know. But it, the thing is, we, you know, I just always say the truth as I see it and with common sense. And if it, we just have a simple thing. Does it work? <laughs> it's that simple, isn't it? Does it work? And if it doesn't work, maybe it's because you're not good enough at doing it yet. That's one thing. You know, so 
you know, if we take a stupid example to make a point, a jumping, spinning, 540-degree kick, I'm not going to argue as to whether it works or not, but it's going to be a very low percentage, isn't it? So I'll put that on the back burner and go, I can't do that. I'm not going to say it doesn't work for sure, but I'm going to say it's not going to be the first thing I'm going to teach. That's for certain. It's going to be something for a bit of fun. Big right hand on the button. That works. So that might be something worth teaching. Pretty close to the way we look at it. Here's my philosophy, and I've always felt this way. Um, yeah, there's no shame in, 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 in failing or not accomplishing against somebody who's far better than you. But I also used to like to tell people that would show techniques or something, try your shit on somebody who's far worse than you, okay? And if you can't make it work on somebody who's far worse than you, then yeah. that shows you your technique is junk, okay? Because, yeah. you know, people will always justify, like, you know, oh, that guy that I tried it on, well, he's been doing it for 20 years. He's, you know, super strong. Okay, well, now try it against some person you outweigh by 60 pounds who's a raw beginner. If your shit isn't working on them, abandon the techniques. They're no good. They won't work in a live situation. Um, and everybody's is. This is no nothing new, okay? Yeah. Uh, when I was a really young kid, like, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, something, you know, the boxers that I knew were like, you know, that karate shit won't work. You know, we'll, 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 we'll beat him to death because we've, we've done it already. We know. So, uh, you know, so this is not a new phenomenon. <laughs> it's, it's, and I guess that happened to a lot of the point karate fighters when they, when they transitioned over to, uh, you know, like full contact, as they called it or whatever, they realize, oh, my goodness, this is a whole different animal. You know, yeah. this is a whole different thing. So you got And the same holds true for grappling. It really does. Yeah. Um, or anything. I mean, you know, it's not even just in fighting, just in other other sports. Yeah. Well, a great friend of mine was a world champion at um, Tippy Tap points fighting right right world champion yeah okay but when we sparred boxing or kickboxing where it's full contact i wasn't allowed to hit him i was only allowed to defend because when we did do it where it was allowed to hit it hurt him too much so he could go full speed, full power. I'd learn defend and tap. Wasn't allowed to hit him. That's the difference between, again, to me, common sense. That's the difference between point fighting. You had a world champion and a, a well-respected world champion when it came to full contact. And he, he'd be the first one to tell you this as well. I won't tell you his name. It's not fair without asking. But he would be, if he was here, he'd be the first one to tell you this, that when we spar, I wasn't allowed to hit him. Because the well, whole is completely different, like you said, Tony. It is. It's a different. It's and it, it's no shame in that. As long as you know, is is if you're the point fighter, as long as you realize it, you know, then there's no there's just no shame in it, you know. Uh, but it's when you have a false belief, and that only comes from avoidance, you know. When you don't like you and I have been involved in this stuff for decades, you know. You know, we've trained thousands of people through the years, so we know. And and everyone that I've trained. It's always been full blast, full contact, 
Um, so, uh, you know, I don't have, I don't have those issues, but there are people to this day that still have the, the issues based on their training only, because it could be, it's so sport or rule, rule oriented, so restrictive, restricted rule oriented. But once they go out of it, um, then they have a problem. Whereas myself and you and others who are totally basically no rules things, we're going to be fine unless we consciously make the decision to, to enter a tournament with like very narrow rule sets, but walking down the street, going anywhere in, in, in public, we don't have to worry of whether our stuff is going to work or not. Uh, it's going to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that's a good thing. Um, that's at least how I look at it. Yeah. I, I like your one about saying, can you make it work against a guy who's 60 pound lighter or not as good as you, blah, blah, blah. Because if you can't, it don't work. And it, it reminds me of one of the things we did when we were looking at all your stuff and training as much as we could from your stuff, Tammy. My thing with it was that once you got, once you did the hard work of getting there, if Again, if we take that top wrist up, for example, we would say that the guy putting it on wasn't allowed to put his strength into it. You know, he had to, yeah, you, you got some strength, of course, but you're not allowed to power anything on. You had to just very slowly apply it. The other guy could fight like fuck, he could do whatever he wants, the one basically defending. It takes some doing when you're in the midst of a grapple, but once you get to position, you're not allowed to use your strength because you can always add that in in a real fight and speed and you know to rip it on but to slowly apply it and the other guy still can't get away when he's fighting it means that you've really got the technique right doesn't it? to my mind if, if if i if i'm fighting full speed and full power fighting against the top wrist lock and the other guy's hardly trying and put the and he gets the top wrist lock on me he must have it absolutely set right and doing it correctly so to me the way we did the learning your stuff was once you got there the guy putting it on had to, had to slow down and not use power and still be able to get it on and that to me meant that you were doing it right because if the other guy's fighting like crazy and still can't get away well you must be doing something right that was my thought process on it yeah, I mean, everybody puts their little take on it. And, um, mm. you know, that's the beautiful thing about learning other people. Everybody seems to want to learn or everybody, not everybody can learn exactly the same as others. Okay. So you have to kind of uh, do something that's going to turn the light bulb on for you and, and make it all click. Uh, I know that I went through that in, in several things, not just fighting, but fighting, music, uh, shooting pool. There was light bulb moments, right? Where up, okay, now. And sometimes, though, those light bulb moments are a dim bulb, right? You think the light bulb came on. So then I, I'll thrust into this, okay? Now I'll, I'll, I'll take this quote-unquote new discovery that I made and see if it really works. And, you know, many times it, it'll fail. But when you keep trying and it, all of a sudden you're like, okay, no, this, this discovery really does work. Man, it's like finding a winning lottery ticket, okay? Mm -hmm. um, with me, with music, it was the, uh, the mathematical principles. When it, 
when it struck me, uh, it's a thing called enharmonic equivalence and stuff like that, where certain chords are actually the identical chord, depending on what the, the bass note is. That just, that right there opened up a whole new world for me. Uh, and when I started studying theory about, you know, uh, how you form chords and it's all math based. So that really helped me. And it, and it really shaved off a lot of time that I think it would have taken me a lot longer to learn the theory of music than it did. Uh, same with pool. You know, there were, there were sh things, I don't want to call them shortcuts cause they're, they weren't, but just things that, okay, now I get it. Now I understand. Uh, and I can apply this to other scenarios. It It's great. But there's probably things in my life that I did that I, I never had those discovery moments. Um, but, yeah, it's great when you have those discovery moments, man. It really is. It, it just, all of a sudden, a whole new world opens up. And it, it's, it's, one of the, it's the, one of the biggest ones for me was understanding what we call waveforms, which is just a, basically, it's, People think it's power generation, but it's whole body movement, how the body really moves. So we, you know, we teach it mainly from striking because that's our background is mainly strike. But you can apply it to everything, you know, and it's that I, I pointed out to people when you were showing something again on that top wrist lock, you took you were showing about stuff we just shown your arm, and then you showed how you could use your hips to really whip rip yeah. it on. I said, Well, that's waveform movement that's whole body movement that's that's what we're talking about stood up is using your whole body because I mean, if you've got your whole body behind a strike it's got to be a lot better than your arm and it's understanding all of that stuff basically but for me when i really started to understand that that was a the, one of the biggest light bulb moments because it transforms everything once you understand how your body should be moving because most martial arts teach you it incorrectly and you know it, it, your body wants to do go one way and in martial arts that's it you used to go another yeah and and something's off and you just feel that something's wrong and and once i understood what was wrong and how to correct it then all of a sudden everything changed and it and it continued to change and, and blossom and again, we teach people today, so why have you got, why is your foot there? Why is your hip pointed that way when you want your punch to go that way? What, what are you doing? Because your body wants to go over there, but you're trying to go that way. It's crazy. You've got to align things properly. And then, and this is why I like your stuff so much, because you were always talking about things like alignment, use your whole body weight and this and that and everything, all these things that were going on. I was there's somebody else speaking the same same the same thing. I can't believe it at last. Because all these masters weren't doing it. You know, they had you know they don't the know it. They were never that way, that way. You know, I, I, I mean a lot of it just stems from the boxing because boxing actually uses more angles than rest than amateur wrestling as far as, you know, when you're like you just mentioned, throwing punches and aiming and you know, head movement and you know, there's it's a whole different, you can't compare the two. I mean, there's similarities, but, you know, so when, when you understand boxing movement, um, then it's just a matter of learning wrestling technique. But when you don't do any stand-up or your stand-up is just half-assed or really poor, then you really don't even understand any principles. 
So you're yeah. on the ground and, you, and you're fighting without any understanding of body mechanics. And, uh, you know, you put yourself at a tremendous disadvantage. Um, so, I mean, things are better now probably, but 20, 25 years ago, there were schools that never did anything standing up. No strikes, no takedowns, nothing. Start your knees and go from there. That's why these guys were, you know, whatever they were. You know, they just weren't well-rounded and found understanding principles quite difficult because they, they, never were, they were never exposed to changing levels and, and angles and uh, hip placement and center of gravity and all of these things that just they were never exposed to. So uh, I was, like I said, learning boxing before I learned wrestling. So the transition for me was very easy. Uh, yeah. But others, maybe not so much. Uh, but once again, I was lucky in, in those regards. And, you know, in other things in my life, you know, I missed out on because, you know, I was like really focused on what I wanted to do. Um, but, you know, to each his own. But I'm, yeah. I'm, it got me to this point in my life. So I'm not going to, I'm, Copy it's not that I'm too old. I never think I'm too old to learn. Nobody's too old to learn anything, but I've seen, I know that what I'm doing is the right path for me, unquestionably, okay? There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So for me to delve out of it would be setting me back, not, not leaping me forward. So uh, I don't know how many years or, or days or hours I have left on this earth. So if I'm going to learn anything, no matter what it is, forget about fighting, just anything in general, I want it to leap me forward. You know, I, I want to, I, I just want to enjoy it and, and, and become a better person. So yeah. um, that's, that's where it's at right now for me, man. Yeah. But now, Joe, why don't you get Joe? Give us some of your thoughts. Well, I was thinking about like the light bulb moments you said, and it's kind of cool too when you um, get those light bulb moments. Maybe not even you get it, you know, because most of us have many things going on in our lives and many interests. Where, like, let's say, uh, I think one of the things you talk about a lot is that like studying music gave you light bulb moments in fighting. You know, sometimes there's this cross discipline thing. Or you're pursuing one thing and you kind of uncover a universal principle, let's say something that can apply, like something like a creative pursuit like music, which I think you've often said was probably the, as far as non-athletic things that most influenced your fighting was your music, which I think is fascinating, you know, that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think, I mean, maybe the rhythm, rhythm side of it or other things people might, you know, correlate it, but um I think that's just fascinating the way the mind works and, 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 and uh, you know, you can make connections that are not obvious to a lot of people. Uh, but I think the human pursuit of certain activities, sometimes, yeah, you just, it crosses boundaries that you wouldn't surprise. And so I think it's also good in that regard to be pursue, pursuing, you know, different things, you know, to try and obviously you need to be focused and have enough time on your primary pursuit, but you'd be surprised where insight comes from sometimes. Well, yeah, uh, but, you, you know, it, it, there has to be some interrelation and you have to be studying with at the highest level possible. You know, you don't want to be, a, you know, scrounging around for a, a decent coach or trying to be self-taught because, you know, you, you'll make a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, and maybe that's okay when you're young, very young, because it, it, it gives you like 
determination and self-discovery. But as you get older, time is a premium. It's a commodity. You don't have a lot of time to waste. So that's the important thing. Now, regarding the music. So if I wanted to teach somebody what, how music changed me as far as a fighter, it would be certainly nothing I could teach commercially because you would actually have to learn music. I would have to tell you to teach a theory and you'd have to be into all of that because I have to tap into your creative impulses, your improvisation, and the, once again, the mathematical principles. And um, that's probably beyond the grasp of most people. They would be bored silly. <laughs> so that's probably one of the things that I'll end up taking to my grave, right? Uh, not because I want to, but there's, there's just no place for it, right? There's, I mean, unless some guy that comes, like a jazz musician comes to me for fighting, I think then, yeah, sure, let's go with it. Now I can, I can help you make the connection. But, uh, yeah, you don't want to fight, in my opinion. You don't want to be, like, you know, methodical as far as, like, uh, what did I tell you guys yesterday? I, I, I made a comment, um, you know, I don't know if I called it lazy fighting or lazy wrestling or just, you know, you have to be active, you have to be dynamic, but you have to have some cohesiveness here. It has to make sense. And you cannot get yourself in any sort of trouble, uh, you know, going down that dead end path. And that's exactly where like music will um, lead you. Like you can have key changes. Um, just don't go so crazy that, you know, that you get so far away from the original key signature that you can't make your way back in a timely manner. Okay. Because the, the listening audience is going to get bored. And sometimes the listening audience, too much clutter, too many changes, too many notes, and they lose the, the whole point of the song, all right? And that's the same thing with fighting. You can try to do so much that you end up losing the, the overall unit that you're trying to do. You're going to get yourself in trouble, and you're going to be taking, in essence, the long way when fighting should always be about the shortest distance. Okay, and same with music. It's not an extended flurry of notes. It's making the greatest impact with the least amount of notes. Okay, that's the key or the least amount of time. So you take a guy who's going to play a solo 30 second notes that lasts 20 seconds, 30 seconds. People will be like, this is just a bunch of noise now. He's playing scales. There's no musical sense and that's the same thing with fighting you know you can go so much but what are you saying what are you getting at you're getting at nothing you're gassing yourself out so you got to be short creative and immersed in that little bit of time when you're fighting um and then once you understand this stuff there'll be nobody in the world that will be able to to surprise you in a fight they'll be constantly defensive because they'll never know what's coming next and when I was around some great jazz musicians, uh, listening to them play, I didn't know what was next, okay? I didn't know what was coming because their creativity was so great, but yet whatever they delivered was a, was a knockout, all right? And I'm like, yeah, that's how I want to fight. I don't want the opponent to have any idea where I'm coming from, but I want it to be a knockout, <laughs> you know, literally, <laughs> really. So 
I had enough technique as far as fighting. I, I knew all the moves. So now it was just a matter of structuring it, applying the musical principles. That was the light bulb. And now it was up to me, since nobody else in the world fought like this, I had to discover a method that I could take the music and the thoughts process that I have with my music and apply it to fighting. And there's failures along the way because you're trying to figure it out. But once you get it, <clears throat> then it's just a matter of practice and acceleration and, and building confidence. And then in a short period of time, you're a whiz. So I tell everybody, if I can do it, you can do it. Because I never thought I was like exceptional in anything. Like, you know, born with these great physical gifts. Never. I, never, I still don't ever believe that. Everything I, I accomplished was hard work. So if I can do it, pretty much anybody else can. But again, this is stuff that maybe people just don't want to do because they, they figure, well, I'll go Joe Blow's way because Joe Blow's producing champions. All right, then, then go Joe Blow's way, all right? And, and, and I want you, I wish you the best of luck. But for me, I'm going to do things my way. It's worked for 45 years and or 50 years almost. And yeah, it'll continue to work for me. I hope. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more, Tony. And it, it reminds me of the thing of, with boxing where you see it here all the time, especially from what I call lazy coaches, when they say punches are born, not made. You know, so I, I, I still call bullshit on that because if you're, if you're coaching properly, you can teach somebody to hit really fucking sorry, really hard. You yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's like saying, you know, anything's uh, a born, not made. No, that's not right. They've still got to be coached. And if you coach incorrectly, you'll be able to make somebody hit very, very hard. It's, it's, it's that simple. I, we, we, had a, we used to have a thing where we would guarantee, we'll, we used to say, we'll double your power in one hour. And that's what we used to do. And, and you know, we did. It's that simple. And, and to me, it's, it's just lazy coaching. If you say, oh, no, punches are born, not made, you know, carry on, you can't punch very hard. Well, help him punch hard now. If you're a coach, and it, that's just, yeah, that sort of thing just winds me up, and you see it all the time, especially you know, in everything. But yeah, yeah, you, you, I'm sure you got the same in grappling and wrestling and BJJ. Everything. It's so true in boxing, kickboxing. Oh, he's he's he can hit hard. He's, he's born that way. Well, maybe he can hit hard. He's doing something right. What is he doing that's making him hit hard? What, what are the body mechanics, physics, and dynamics behind him hitting hard? What's he doing? And what is the other guy not doing that doesn't hit very hard? And if, you, and if you're a coach and you can't understand that, analyze it, work it out, teach it, then you're not a coach. You're just training. You're just doing training. So, and I have this argument with people all the time. What Are you learning? You, I think we mentioned before about the... the the great trainer Ray Arcel coached Giraffe. And he said, it's a classroom. You're a, you're a student when you come into my gym. It's a classroom. If you're not learning something, I'm not teaching. If I'm not teaching, I'm not doing the job right. And it's so true. 
and you see the vast majority of boxing coaches, they're just doing training sessions. They're not actually coaching. Nobody's learning. They might learn eventually by being there a long time and watching what other people are doing and being told, yeah, you got to do this on a jab. They're not actually teaching them properly. No one's teaching. They're just training. Same with bullshit pads and things like that, with all like that. One, two, three, one, two, three. Bullshit. Does my head in. Because you know, I, I made a point of really studying what I was doing. You, not just training every day. So, yeah, I train hard, I train twice a day. Yeah, but are you learning anything? Or are you just doing some phys a physical workout? Which is okay if that's what you want to do, but are you actually learning? So, to me, it was train hard, but learn as well and study what you're doing in depth. So, you actually actually really understand what you're doing and why. That, to me, is what it's all about. And it annoys the crap out of me when people are not teaching, but they're saying they're a teacher. I know you teach, because I've been there, seen you, and watched your stuff as well. It's, it's teaching. This is how it works. This is why it works. This is why you got to... I remember on one, just picking out a thin air, you were teaching about putting weight on somebody and using cross-body. He's talking about where your hips should be in relation to the, to the height of their body. And he said, this is where the, the center mass is. If you're above that, they can lift you off. If you blow it, you, it's going to be 10 times more difficult sort of thing, for them to get you off. And all the, who else? I, I've seen lots, hundreds of other people teaching that same thing. No one's ever said, this is what you should be doing and why. They just say, try and keep your hips low. Okay. Why? You know, you're the only one I've ever seen explain how and why it should be done. That's a shame. It's, it's a shame that others don't know it or don't want to learn it or, you know, weren't exposed to it. But, you know, yeah, I've heard people have nothing to do with fighting, but, you know, in other things, uh, you know, like even if it's bowling, you know, oh, well, this guy told me to stand this way or do this, but they don't understand why. So when you don't understand why, you can't repeat it. Okay, so if you get lucky, you get catch lightning in a bottle and you're able to throw a strike. Okay, now, how? well, what was it exactly that I did? You know, because I want to do it again. Right. And when you can't, then it's like, oh, man. So, yeah, you, you have to understand. Again, it boils down to principles, uh, absolute, you know, irrefutable principles. And um, I don't know how many people know that, you know, it's none of my business. I at this stage don't care. Um, it, it's it is what it is so as yeah. long as they're doing it improperly the older i get i'll still be able to win <laughs> right yeah. that's the way i look at it you know I mean, when you, start doing you, it, say to, you say to you carry on doing it wrong because if we ever get in a fight at least i've got a good chance of winning right 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 well yeah and that's funny speaking of so like i i know a couple of older guys you know a little bit older than me not like drastically but like you know five six years older four years older whatever it is and uh you know, they, they've never really, I mean, they might've had one or two fights in their life, right? Never trained as a fighter or anything else. And they're the, they're, they, they're the ones who seem to have the beer muscles, right? Not towards me, but just, you hear them talk about what they'll do to somebody and all of this. And, you know, these are guys that literally can't even walk straight. Okay. Um, they have no idea principles and, you know, you don't ever want to become one of those types of people. I mean, that's fine if you don't know how to fight this and that, but then don't think you do because you can lose your life. 
I mean, seriously, you, you can get hit so hard because you don't know how to roll with the punch, fall down, hit your head, and that's the end of it. You're dead. So you need to avoid it. You know, um, with some of these people, they don't learn the lesson. and They learn the lesson the hard way. Let's put it that way. I just saw a video clip. I just saw this. I don't know when it happened. I think very recently. But somebody got slapped, bitch slapped. Okay, not punched, just slapped over and over and knocked down from slaps, okay, yeah. in a fight, a real argument, okay? This wasn't like sparring. This was at a restaurant. And, you know, I'm thinking, man, the guy that got knocked down, uh, he should be very, very grateful that the dude wasn't using closed fists so that the dude wasn't well-trained because neither one of these guys were fighters um, because the guy that got knocked down would have, would have gotten really injured if not killed if he and he was mouthing off he he, he got he was a loud mouth and the guy shut him up so you know that's the real world here yeah but but anyway yeah. on that note gentlemen we should start getting ready to wrap things up here because it's getting late for us joe do you have any comments to add because you're our like resident mathematician because you always add something well, I was actually going to say, hey, Russell, like, I know you've, you put out some videos. Maybe you should plug some of the videos, instructional things you've done, and tell us about your website before we, we sign off. Well, I wanted to plug the stuff that Tony's been doing, but there you go. <laughs> ah, don't worry about Okay. Save your yeah. breath. Go for yourself. Nobody buys my shit anymore, so go for <laughs> yourself. Well, you can get it at russellstoopley.com. we got a load of stuff over there. Just you know, go and have a look. And there's, there's some free stuff people can, can have to have a look around, see what they think. Yeah, they can decide if it's bullshit or not <laughs> and take it from there. You know, we will say, have the free stuff, see what you want to do from there. You know, there's plenty of stuff there. And uh, there's 200 odd free lessons on the blog alone. So you can just have a look at those. I, I normally put up a little bit of boxing stuff every couple of weeks or a bit of catabunkai. Just to, for the traditional martial artists out there, let them understand what the moves actually mean. Because I didn't mention that before. We used to do that a lot and teach people what they all these silly moves are for. Just shapes. Well, it's you know, it's a shame that Nico couldn't be on because he really enjoys talking to you and picking your brain. But as always, it is a pleasure having you here. Uh, believe me, and we look forward to having you again. Uh, you know, down, you know, when the weather breaks or something, but, um, but Joe, thanks again for your help yesterday. And I look forward to seeing you Joe next weekend, uh, on the podcast and everybody out there. Thanks for watching and or listening. And, uh, we'll see you guys real soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. Tony. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>